0: And we're kind of like chopping up throughout the year and we're kind of, we only got two left in this and then we're going to come back to it next year and, and finish it off. And as we said earlier, the, the topic today is everyone's favorite topic to talk about in church and that's money. <laughs> so if you, today's your first day at church, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, we don't talk about money every week and, and this is potentially quite an awkward thing to talk about. Um... Most people have probably been to a church or at least maybe seen a Christian on TV or like had some bad experience of being asked for money or being guilted into money or, or to giving or something just bad and really cringeworthy and, and awkward. And, and we kind of, that's not where we want to go at all tonight at all. But sometimes, because this, we, people can talk about this in a really bad way. Sometimes we go to the other end and we're just like, we just don't want to talk about this. We just, we just don't, don't talk about money. It's been misdone so many times in churches. Let's just avoid it altogether. But what we're doing this year is going through what Jesus' main teaching, which is the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus wants to talk about money. So I'm not talking about money because I want to talk about money. It's because this is what happened. This is what landed in, we're going through this part of the Bible, and this is what Jesus wants to talk about. And the interesting thing is, in the Bible, in the life of Jesus and the letters of the New Testament, there's actually a lot of stuff to say about money. Um, Not just money like cash, but but possessions or the idea of wealth. Um, It actually says quite a lot of things. And we kind of maybe don't really want to talk about it, but we probably really need to because Jesus has some quite strong things to say and particularly to people who are quite wealthy or rich. And you may not feel like being very wealthy or rich. But most of us who live in Australia, even earning quite a low salary compared to the rest of the world, are actually incredibly rich. There's this website you can go to called Global Rich List and you put in um, your income. And if you put like a minimum wage in Australia even, it's still like the top few percent of the world. Like the out Western sort of culture, Australia is quite a wealthy country and quite a materialistic country like money, stuff, getting lots of stuff is a really high value in our culture. And therefore, we really need to look at what Jesus has to say about it. Because what we're going to look at is he actually has some warnings about this. And, and in this section a few weeks ago, we talked about the warnings Jesus gives about approval and not living to impress people. He talks about some people pray and, and give money or fast or do all these religious things just to look good so that everyone can see them. And Jesus says, don't do that. That's a really bad idea. But he doesn't say it's wrong to live for approval. He said it's wrong to live for people's approval, live for God's approval. And there's a warning. And the same way, Jesus is giving a warning about money and wealth. And it's not at all a guilt trip. We'll see as Jesus talks, he does not use guilt at all. It's it's a warning in love because he cares for us. And he wants us to have life. And he wants us to have good things, but not... Let them lead us to destruction or to problems. And there's actually some dangers around money and stuff. So what we're going to do is read through a few verses in Matthew 6 from verse 19. And it's only a short section, but it's like compact. Like Jesus is saying some profound things. Uh, You might have heard this before. We're just going to go through verse by verse. I'm going to give some comments and try and get to the point. What's he really saying? And then what we're going to do to finish off, because I want to be really clear today, we're going to say, well, what is this not saying and what is this saying? And then kind of think about our lives a bit. So that's kind of where we're going. Try not to go too long. Um, I'll just pray and then we'll start looking at these verses. So Jesus, we just thank you for your word. Um, Yeah, that you spoke these words when you were on earth and they've been recorded and, and preserved and we get to read them. Um, this ancient writing that's just changed so many people's lives and we just thank you for your spirit who speaks to us as well and and we just ask that by your word and by your spirit tonight um, you would touch our hearts Um, show us your way which is the way of life and and challenge us where we need to be challenged we pray in your name amen okay so we're just going to read through and i'll make some comments as we go so this is jesus giving some warnings about wealth and as we go through I just just make note, like he's not using guilt, he's not using fear, he's actually being quite logical. He actually gives a lot of good reasons around his approach to money and stuff. This is what he says. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. So when it says treasures, we're kind of thinking money. This could also be possessions, houses, cars, clothes, whatever. It may not even be just possessions or money, whatever we treasure, things, treasures on the earth. And this is what, like most people do, right? Life for most people is about getting a good job, getting wealth, getting a house, getting a car, getting all the good things that you want. Jesus says, "Don't do that." But his reason is quite logical. He says, "Where moths and vermin destroy." So you can imagine, you buy some awesome clothes, and back, particularly back then, maybe today, we have I had a moth. At in my house last night, that was really annoying while I was sleeping. There's moths around, and they're gonna get into your clothes, and the awesome, expensive clothes that you treasure so much are gonna get eaten away and, and, and rotten. I was thinking today, I, I don't like buying new shoes. I find some shoes, and once you break them in, and they're really comfortable, I just want them to last forever. But eventually, they start to break, there's a hole in them, and they have to buy new shoes, and it's so frustrating. Like, they, stuff wears out. And on top of that, he says, and where thieves break in and steal. If you amass money, you have to protect it somehow and we have to keep it safe. So, we put it in a box, right, called a safe and we want to protect it or we put it in a bank or we put it in the share market or something like that. But as much as we try to keep all those things safe, they're not, it's not foolproof. Thieves can still break in, the stock market can still crash. People can get through the security in some way. If the treasures on earth, ultimately, it's not actually that secure. And on top of that, when we die, we can't take any of it with us, it's gone. Interestingly though, Jesus doesn't say, don't store up treasure. In the same way, a few weeks ago, he, we, he, he didn't say don't live for approval, he said live for God's approval. In the same way, he doesn't say don't store up treasure, because in the next verse he says, store up treasure for yourselves, yourselves treasure in heaven. The issue is not storing up treasure or amassing stuff, It's where is that stuff? What is it that you're treasuring? And Jesus says, actually, store treasure for yourselves in heaven. And this is not just saying, like, the place you go when you die. Heaven is the realm of God, the dimension of God, God's kingdom. Store treasures for yourself there because there's no moths there. There's no rats. No thieves can break in and steal. If that's where your treasure is, If you use your financial resources, your time, your energy to invest in God's realm, invest in what God's doing, no one can touch that. That's completely secure. And on top of that, that will last forever. And actually when you do die, the treasure that you've you've built continues and you get to participate in that forever. So Jesus' point is quite logical. Like actually when you think about it, storing treasure on earth is not really that smart. Storing treasure in heaven makes a lot of sense, but he keeps going. As we go, he kind of gets deeper to the issue as we go through. Then Jesus says this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And this is really important because as we talk about money tonight, we're actually not really talking about money. And Jesus is not really talking about money. He's actually talking about our hearts. The issue is not money, the issue is our hearts. But the interesting thing is what he says here is that where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Which means two things, really interesting. If we were to look, or you were to reflect even on your own life, and where do you spend your money? Where do you invest your time and your energy? And if you were to look at that, that reveals where your heart is. That reveals what you treasure. That reveals what is dear to you. Actually, the issue is our heart, but the way that we use our stuff shows what our heart is like. And it works the opposite way as well, in that what we invest in, what we focus on, actually shapes our hearts. Our heart actually goes to the thing that we invest in. So if we spend a stack of time amassing money and wealth on earth, our heart is drawn to that. But Jesus is saying that doesn't last. Whereas if we spend our time investing in God's kingdom in the realm of the heavens... Our heart is there, and that's what lasts. The issue is the heart, not primarily the stuff. But he keeps going, and there's this little story or little illustration that he gives, and, and, and again, he's giving this warning, and he really is, is making a point that this is quite serious. And this is actually quite a, I thought about this this week. You might have read this before, but it's quite a full-on thing that Jesus says here. I'll ex- just read through it, and then I'll, then I'll explain it and shed some light on it. He starts to tell a bit of a story or a metaphor. He says this. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, you might think, what does that, that, that mean? It just, Jesus is talking, it sounds strange. What he's doing is making a comparison between your physical body and your eyes. And... If you want to just sort of experience this for a second, I encourage you, you don't have to, try not to be too weird, just close your eyes for a second. I'm gonna do it as well. And just, just think, and you've probably done this before, like what would it be like to actually be blind? Like maybe you've even tried getting around the house before, but just, just sit for a second with your eyes closed and just think like with eyes that don't work, life is in a lot of ways just dark. You just, all you see is black and your body actually doesn't know where to go. Your your body's in the dark. Like you don't know what's what, who's coming at you, where you need to move. Like like if your eyes are broken, if your eyes are unhealthy, it affects your whole body. Your eyes are that important. You can open them if you've got them closed. But Jesus brings a parallel now between your eyesight and what we can call basically like our heart sight or the direction of our life. And his point is, that if our heart is healthy, if it's, what he's saying is if if it's focused and devoted to God, and interestingly, this this word for healthy can kind of, there's a bit of nuance around it, it can mean two things, and it kind of has a double meaning. On the one hand, the healthy eye is this like focused devotion to God, but on the other hand, the word means kind of generosity. So it's like a a, a devotion to God that's characterised by generosity, is a heart that's in the light. That that's actually what life is really about. God's realm, the kingdom, life equals generosity. God is generous. If you're living that way, you're in the light and and life works. But what he's saying is if your heart is not there, if your sight, the direction of your life, is unhealthy, if it's like he's saying, focus just on life here, if if it doesn't really see the way true reality is, then he's saying this is not just like a side issue in life. It's not like, okay, my money and the way I relate to possessions and treasures, that's just one aspect of my life Then I've got all these other aspects. He's saying, no, this is like your eyes. If your eyes don't work, your whole body's in darkness. He's saying if your heart is unhealthy and it's not focused in this way, then you're in the dark about everything. That affects the whole of life. Your perspective on this issue impacts every other issue. Like that is a full-on thing to say, and he's saying it's the same as being blind. And Jesus then a couple of commentators explain this. I've got a couple of quotes. This this guy Dallas Willard says this. Thus, if your eyes are bad, so your physical eyes, your body in the whole is in the dark. But if the eye of your soul, the light within you, is not functioning, then you are in the dark about everything. The heart that's not healthy means darkness all around. Another guy, William Barclay says, so Jesus is saying there's nothing like generosity, that this is a heart that's right for giving you a clear and undistorted view of life and of people. And there's nothing like the grudging and ungenerous spirit for distorting your view of life and people. Saying our heart issue in relation to this issue actually is about whether we have a right view of life and, and, and not the way that maybe the world or our culture sort of sees life, but the way that God sees life, true reality, his kingdom. So Jesus is saying, this is a big deal. This is a serious issue. And again, it's a warning in love because he wants us to have light, life and light and live in his kingdom. But then he comes to this last verse and, he, and he's, again, he's showing the seriousness of this. And he says this, which is blunt now, quite blunt. He says, no one can serve two masters. Now we probably don't think of that. Like you're thinking, well, I have two jobs. Like I have two employees. Like that's not what he's saying. When he says no one can serve two masters, he's talking about a slave. Like a slave has one master because the whole of someone's life belongs to a slave. He says, you can't have two. Either you will hate the one and love the other. And that doesn't mean like you hate them. It means that your devotion to one will be that comparatively it's hate to the other. You can't be devoted to both. Or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. And then he makes it so clear. He says, you cannot serve both God and money. You can't have these two things on equal terms. One has to win, is Jesus' point. And it's interesting, this, the word that, 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 that gets translated money here, sometimes it gets translated mammon, and it has an interesting history. It kind of refers to money and possessions and wealth. But originally, it meant stuff that you entrust to people. So like money, you entrust to a bank or you entrust to people who will look after it, or valuable possessions you entrust. But over time, excuse me, my, my voice is going. Over time, the word started to mean not in trust, but trust in, or trust. And money and possessions, this word mammon, started to be referring to stuff that you trust, or that you rely on. And then this starts to compete with God, Because he's the one that we are to trust. And as this just money and possessions become something that we trust and rely on for security, they start to take the place of God and they start to compete with God. And Jesus is warning us against that. Because, again, because he loves us and he knows that this stuff, money, possessions, is not a good God. It's not a God that loves us. It's a God that will control us and to make demands of us and we have to do certain things to keep it going and follow the rules of, of money. Whereas Jesus is the God who loves us and dies for us. He's the God of truth that we can really trust in. And this is why he's saying, actually, you need to choose. You cannot serve both, only one. And this is really the point that this passage is making, that point that we've got tonight, is this the way of Jesus is to use money to honour and reflect God rather than worship money as a God. And in some ways, they're the options. And we might sort of think, well, no, I, I, I don't, I, I'm not part of one of those. I just sort of sit to the side and I can use money, but it won't control me. But, but Jesus knows our hearts. And really, it's one or the other, either a slave of God, and we trust him as our master. But if we don't, our hearts so easily go to material things for security, and we end up worshipping and trusting it as a God. And there has to be a choice. <clears throat> Excuse me. So what I want to do is, so that, the, again, this is a huge topic, and we're not spending a long time talking about it. What I want to do is to say, what are we not saying? What is Jesus and the scriptures not saying? And what is this saying? And just bring a little bit more clarity around, around this issue, because it's, it's massive. So... What Jesus-slash-scripture not saying? It's not saying that money is bad, right? Nowhere in the Bible does it say money is bad. Um, It's maybe easy to think that, but again, the issue is not the heart. The issue is the heart, not money. Money is just paper that we use to trade, or numbers on a screen that we use to trade stuff. Like, it's neutral. It's not a moral thing. It's just stuff. Um, and it's not like material things are bad and spiritual things are good, like God made everything, and, and material things are gifts from God to be enjoyed. It's, that's good. Money is not bad. What Jesus is saying, again, that money, how we use it, is an indicator of our hearts, and how we use it shapes our hearts. So the issue, again, is always about the heart, not about the stuff. Again, Jesus says this here, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. On top of that, what is he not saying? He's not saying that it's wrong to have money or to have wealth. It might be easy to think, oh, well, if this is so dangerous, we just shouldn't have anything. We should just get rid of everything. Like, and and some people choose to do that, and that's not wrong. But the idea that you can't have anything is, is really called asceticism, and it's not biblical either. Like, God gives good things. There's lots of people in the Bible who are rich, who God even makes them rich, and that's not bad. Um, It's just what it is. It's not wrong. What Jesus is saying, though, is that there are dangers with having wealth. There are dangers with being rich. And again, I don't know if we talk about this enough, because the story of our culture is to not have much stuff is, is bad. If, you don't, if you're not prepared for the future, if you don't have stuff to provide yourself, that's bad. So what you have to do is work hard, get a job, invest, buy a house, pay it off, get enough stuff so then you're secure, and then you can retire, and then life is good. That's, that's the story of our culture. And that means, the story goes, the more stuff you have, the more money you have, the easier and better life is. But the story of the Bible is quite different. The issue is trusting God, and actually, it almost seems in some ways like there's, there's dangers with being poor because there's temptation maybe to steal or just to be bitter at God. But people who are poor often can trust God a bit easier. And actually, having lots of stuff can sometimes make it harder to trust God. And that's actually the issue of a good life. Not having stuff, but trusting God, the heart. There's this really interesting passage. I want to give you just a bit of background. And I'm going to read from Deuteronomy 8. And the story goes like this, so God calls Israel, his people out of Egypt, they're slaves, right? They have nothing, they're slaves. He takes them out of Egypt, he makes them his people, and he takes them through the wilderness. They live in the wilderness, like nothing. And God gives them food every day, miraculously. Bread just appears on the ground, he gives them water. Their their clothes don't wear out, like they don't have to replace their shoes for 40 years, like they just keep going. Um, God provides for them and God says in the wilderness he's he's testing them and he's teaching them that you don't live by bread alone but you live by every word that comes from God that actually God sustains life not stuff God is the one who gives the stuff it's actually God that sustains people but then, after 40 years, these people have been waiting to go into the promised land. The promised land is where there's going to be an abundance of wealth and houses and food. It's way better than the wilderness. And you'd think all the problems are gone now. Like the wilderness was hard. We're coming into the promised land. There's going to be wealth. It's going to be amazing. But as they're about to enter, Moses says these verses that I'm going to read to you. Moses gives them a speech. He's been leading them. And he gives them a warning about the dangers of the promised land. You think, there's no dangers in the promised land, like the promised land's abundance. He says, no, there's dangers in going into the promised land. This is what he says, it's very interesting. He says this, otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, when your herds and flocks grow large, and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied. Like that sounds awesome, right? Like they've been in the wilderness, they've been slaves, now they've got houses, now they've got gold, now they've got flocks. But he says, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. God was teaching them and trust Him in the wilderness. And Moses is saying, be careful that when you go into the promised land, you have all this stuff that you don't forget God. He keeps going in a couple other verses. He says, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. They might say, I worked hard to build these houses. I worked hard to get this food. I did it. But he says, But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying that the wilderness is fully dependent on God. And he's saying that the promised land is fully dependent on God. It's just not as obvious. In the Promised Land, it looks like we can look after ourselves, but actually we can't. The only reason we have wealth, the only reason that Israelites had these houses is because God gave them the ability to produce it. They were still completely dependent on God, but the danger is having all this stuff makes it not so clear. It it deceives, and they can start to trust it and themselves and not Him. Whereas in the wilderness, it's obvious. It's God has to come through, or we're done for. Back here, it's like we can get by a bit on ourselves, but it's like... No, the reality is we're still just as dependent on him. So there's dangers. There's this other verse in First Timothy where these dangers get, get explained. He says this, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap. There's a danger, it's a trap. Into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. See, it's not money that's evil. It's the heart, the love of money. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierce themselves with many griefs. Actually, the story of, and, and examples in the Bible tend to say the more stuff someone has, actually the harder it is to trust God and the more likely it is they're gonna move away from him. And that's what happened to Israel. They got in the promised land and they forgot God and they worshiped other gods. There's actually dangers. And again, this verse, you might know this one. Again, I tell you, this is Jesus talking. He says, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Somebody who's got stacks and stacks of stuff, it's way harder for them to come to a place of dependence and trust in God and saying, actually, God, all all I have to, to offer you is just my surrender and my trust, and I trust you. And Jesus actually says that's impossible without God. You see the difference, right? The story of our culture says life is better when you have more stuff. The story of scripture actually says spiritually there's dangers that actually make it harder. There's actually a trial that that is involved with having stuff. Again, it doesn't mean it's bad. This is what we're saying. It's not wrong to have stuff. God's desire was that they would go into the promised land and have all this stuff. That they would have the abundance. Like he wanted to bless them. but. Ultimately, he wanted them to trust him. And that, that's really where the issue is. It's not about the stuff, it's about the heart and a heart that trusts God. Lastly, last, last point, what are, we not, what are we not saying? Not saying, like I said at the start, we're not saying, because as we were saying, this, this idea of the way that Jesus is talking about is a life characterized by generosity, which is about joy and giving. So we're not saying that you have to or should give money to God's kingdom, to the poor, we're not, Jesus doesn't say that, right? Jesus doesn't say you have to, you should, it's the right thing, you better do it. Like he doesn't come and guilt trip them. As we just saw, like he gives quite logical reasons why it's actually the best way to live. And it's actually the path of freedom and to live a life that just hoards and, and keeps is actually not a joyful, freeing life. The issue's not you better, the issue is an invitation to life. There's this really interesting passage as well. I'm just going to share a few verses in the book of 2 Corinthians. So Paul's this guy who, who saw Jesus alive and started all these different churches. And, and the church in Jerusalem is in a famine. They desperately need help. So he has this plan to go around all these other churches and ask them to give some money and, and collect this big gift to give back to the Jerusalem church. It's just like this amazing campaign of of generosity to support other Christians. And the Corinthian church kind of said they were going to do it, but then when it came to it, they kind of forgotten about it. They hadn't raised the money. So Paul's now writing to the Corinthians, and he's kind of having this awkward conversation about money, where he could say, hey, where's the money, you said you're gonna give, like why haven't you given? Like he could say, I'm Paul, I started this church, like you better give, like, but he doesn't do that. He doesn't guilt trip, he doesn't say you have to. What he does is he tells a story about these other churches who are generous. This is what he says in 2 Corinthians 8. He's talking to the Corinthian church who's trying to get to give. He says, now brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. These are other churches. And these other churches are poor. He says, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. What he's saying is that actually, he tells them a story about these other churches who are also, they've they've become poor like the ones they're giving to, but they're still full of joy and they're actually full of rich generosity. And he even says this, this is crazy. He says, For I testify that they, these other churches, gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They weren't guilt-tripped, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. He tells a story about these other churches who don't have much stuff, but are full of joy and generosity, who are begging Paul that they get to give in this gift as well. Like, that's amazing. Like, he tells a story that these other churches that want to do this and Paul, Paul's sharing this story with them, inspiring joy and generosity. Then he tells the story of Jesus. He says, for you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what God is like. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. He, he encourages these churches. Later on in the passage, he says, I'm not commanding you. He says, I want this to be your choice. I want this to be a free choice, not compulsion, but generosity and joy. It's this like awesome story, right? And his, his point is that it's not, you have to, you should. Like that, and as I've sort of journeyed through this a little bit, I feel like that's where I get stuck. Like we talk about giving, we talk about money. It's so easy to get into like the guilt. And it's like, well, should I give this much? Is it okay if I have this much? Can I buy this thing? Should I keep this much? What should I do? How much percentage? Like, it's like, that's not the point. Again, it's the heart. And what scripture and Jesus is saying is, you get to give. That this is a joy. That actually God is, has been so generous to us. And to live a life of generosity is actually the true way of life. It's the way of God. It's the way of freedom. We get to do that. It's not, you have to, it's that we get to. And, and that's such a difference. And, and I think often the guilt kind of message actually kind of can crush us and actually kind of block the heart of generosity that's there if God's spirit is in us. That actually it's there. We love people and we want to be generous. But the guilt message can kind of block that. It's like, just let's let that go and let's live from our heart with joy and generosity. So what we're saying is the way of Jesus is to use money, to honor and reflect God, reflect God's generosity, be devoted to him, rather than worship money as a God. It is not a good God. He will make demands of us, it will not satisfy, and, and Jesus warns us against going down that path that leads away from him. So what, as we kind of finish up tonight, again, that's quite a, it's quite a challenging message. Um, again, about something we don't often like to talk about, but I think is incredibly needed Um, in our culture, um, in our church, and to to, to talk about this and to be challenged. And maybe that's even challenged you tonight. And maybe you're thinking, actually, when I think about it, like, I'm kind of going down the path. Money has kind of been dictating my decisions. And, And what Jesus offers tonight is this thing called repentance. And again, We think of repentance too often as like guilt, feel bad, I'm terrible, I've done the wrong, that's not repentance. Repentance means I'm going this direction. Well, this is the wrong direction. This is not a good idea. It means turn from that. And faith means trust Jesus' way. And there's an opportunity tonight, maybe God's even speaking, to just with him, repent, to turn. Say, actually, I'm not not gonna go that way and have faith in Jesus and experience his grace his forgiveness, and let his love fill our hearts and, and turn us into more joyful, generous people. And what that looks like is between you and God. That's what Paul says to the Corinthians. He says, each person must give what they decided in their heart. That his point is, it's a decision. Like, like sometimes we think of giving as like, oh, if someone asks me for money, I'll just give them a bit of money. But Paul, Paul's saying like, make a decision about how you're gonna be generous and, and what you're gonna give to and that might be people in need, that might be friends in need, that might be missions. And, and I encourage you that, that maybe that might be here at Rivers as well. Um, that might be a new idea even, that, that actually the church doesn't just run by itself. Like, the, like the, what, what happens here actually costs money. And in a similar way, if, if you're here, like if you're in, if, if you're on board, then actually you get to be in, like you get to give, you get to contribute. You get to build and and let's keep this thing going and support the ministries and support what's going on in the church here. And again, that's not a a guilt trip, but it's it's like that's actually an opportunity to be a part of that. And and maybe if you've never considered that before, maybe something to think through and and to pray through. And I lots of you guys do do that and and that's just awesome as well. And and again, the point of this message is not to give money to the church. The point is, what does Jesus say about money? And, and how you work that out with, with God is, is up to you guys. So in a second, we're gonna, we're gonna sing, and, and, and as we respond, um, I encourage you just to spend that time with God, and, and if that means you just need to sit for a while and just pray and process, if, if you need to walk around, if, this is just a free space, like you don't have to stand when everyone stands, you can kind of do what you want, but the point is that you engage, engage with God and what He's doing. Just as we finish, I wanna tell you the story. I've probably told it before because I love this story so much. A story about a guy named Jim Elliott. And he's a young man um, who lived in America, his whole life ahead of him. And he's brilliant, incredibly smart, um, could have had an amazing career, could have probably started a church, probably could have been successful, all sorts of things. And he just had this passionate love for God and wanted to do God's will, whatever the cost, and felt called by God to go and tell people who'd never knew anything about Jesus about Jesus. And he got called to this tribe in Ecuador. Um, these Indians, the Wadani Indians, and they, like, completely cut off from civilization, Like, like just live with spears, just catch their food, like, don't have contact with, with people outside of their tribe, except for, like, war. Like, like they're, they're cut off. And they, him and a few other guys and their wives felt called to go to this tribe and, and reach them and tell them about Jesus and his love and, and the true God. And... They, people probably think he's crazy, right? Like, he's got this whole life ahead of him. He could have this amazing life in America, but he gives it up and goes to Ecuador. And they get there and they start working with this tribe and they're trying to make contact. They, like, can't speak the language. They, like, fly a plane over and, like, drop gifts and stuff like that. And they start to get some initial contact and relationship. And there's this just, like, tragic thing that happens. It, like, I forget the exact details, but it's something like some one of the people in the tribe like, had some misunderstanding about what one of the guys did and like, told a lie or something like that, so the tribe decided to kill them. So they ambushed the missionaries and speared them all to death. Five young guys, just starting to reach this tribe, dead. And you think, what a waste. Right? He's had his whole life ahead of him and, and he's gone to this tribe, just getting started, and they're killed. He, just, like, newly married, like, he hadn't been married that long. What happened after that, though, is this like when all around the world, like everyone hears about this, this, this missionary? And the interesting thing is that his wife, I think one of the sisters of one of the guys, one of the sons, decide to stay. And they continue to reach out to this tribe. And they continue to build relationship. And over time, they share Jesus with them. This tribe believes and is completely transformed. God's grace comes in and transforms this tribe. And there's amazing forgiveness and grace and the, one of the boys, he was a boy when his dad died, basically is raised by the men that's killed his father. Like he lives with them and they raise him. And now they have this relationship of love and, and intimacy and, and worship of God together. This is a crazy story. You think about Jim Elliott's life, right? Like he could have had this life in America. he followed God's call, which ended up dying early. You think treasures on earth, there's like nothing. But you think about the investment of his life into the kingdom of heaven. Think about what his life led to, the story of his sacrifice, the impact that this tribe has had on other people, just how many people are inspired to mission and to service and to leadership because of his life, because of his writings, because of his sacrifice. Like the treasure in heaven, what he achieved with his life for God's kingdom is amazing and that will last forever. And he has this great quote, a famous quote. He said this, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Like in the eyes of the world, that's just like a wasted life. In the kingdom of heaven, that life was an investment for eternity that produced amazing results. And the the results of that cannot be taken away by anyone and will last forever. And that's what Jesus invites us to, that life of investing in things that last forever, that are secure, that are eternal, that free us to live like him with generosity and life. So I'm going to pray and we're going to sing and I encourage you to, to respond how you want to respond in this time. <clears throat> Jesus, just thank you so much um, that you're a God who is good and generous and kind, that you left heaven that you were so rich, that you had the riches of heaven and and, and being in God's presence and, and you left it and you became poor, became a, a child and, and just a man and even went to the cross. So that we could know you and have eternal riches forever. That's what you are like. And we just say, You're our God, and you are worthy of that, and you're worthy of our praise. And tonight, we just pray, God, that you would break the bondage of of any idol of, of money and stuff over our lives. We just say that that is not a good God. That is not the path of life. And we thank you for the good things you give us, God. But we ask that we would use them to honor and worship and reflect you, that they would not become our God or the things we trust. And tonight, Lord, would you speak to our hearts? Would you free our hearts Would you grow us as generous, loving people, as a generous community that reflects you? And God, we we need your power to do this. It's, It's only by your power that this is possible. So would you come and have your way tonight? Would you meet with us, Jesus, by your presence, by your spirit? We just pray this in your name. Amen.